0: So uh, when I was in middle school, I was trying to make a little money one summer, and I decided that I was going to cut grass. My dad cut grass when he was growing up to make a little bit of money, and I had a lawnmower. I had everything I needed. I had neighbors that had grass that grew in their yards, and so I decided that I was going to cut some grass. So I got on our big, giant desktop computer that we had back in the day. I got on Microsoft Word and got some like pretty awesome clip art right, and made my own flyers with a little business name. I think it was like Ross's yard service, or maybe it was Rossman's yard service. Cause that was my nickname back then. And so I started popping them in my neighbor's mailboxes. And sure enough, I got a phone call on our landline. Remember we had landlines. I got a phone call on our landline from a lady up the street from me saying that she wanted me to come and cut her yard for the summer. And I was ecstatic. I mean, like, do you remember as a kid, like some of the first times you actually begin to earn a little bit of money and, and like all you see in your head is dollar signs. You're just like, I'm going to be so rich. She said she would pay me $50 to cut her front yard and her backyard, which as a middle schooler back in the mid, like that is some dough right there. Like that is some money right there. I remember, I think probably every middle schooler has those items that they really want that are just expensive enough to where they can't really pay for it with their own money, but they're also just expensive enough to where you can't just ask your parents to buy it for you on a whim. Like you have to wait till a birthday or until Christmas or something like that. And so what I was thinking is like the new NCAA football game is mine. It is mine. That is one month of work for me right now. And then I can just, so I was just, I was man, I was really excited. So I went up to mow the next day, and, and I started mowing her yard. I mowed her, her front yard first, and then I mowed her backyard. And I pushed the lawnmower back up into the driveway, and I was about to walk up to her door and knock on it and tell her that I was done to collect the money. And I began to look at her yard, and, and I realized that there were some spots that I couldn't really get with just the mower, right? Like around some stumps and around some rocks, and I probably needed to walk back down the street and get our weed eater and come back and take care of that. And then I probably also should go around her yard, right? Like to make the edges look clean. And then I, I also realized that I really probably needed to go get the blower too and blow off the walkway to her house and, and her porch. And then the driveway, cause I was going to make more of a mess than I already made with the clippings. If I went and got the weed eater. And then I also realized that, that her flower beds had some weeds growing in them and that I should also probably it would take me five seconds, right? I should probably just bend down and, and pull some of those weeds. And I remember thinking clear as day that because she was an older woman and a widowed woman, that she wasn't going to notice if I did any of those things or not. So I didn't. I left the lawnmower in the driveway and I walked up to her front porch and knocked on the door and told her that I was finished. And she handed me that crisp $50 bill that I had been dreaming about. And I grabbed my lawnmower and walked back down to my house. Well, originally, she had said that she wanted me to cut her yard every two weeks. So two weeks go by and she didn't she didn't call. She didn't call me to come up there and cut it. And then three weeks go by and she still hasn't called. And then finally a month later, I, I look up there and I see somebody else mowing her yard. And I knew who it was. It was a high schooler that lived a few blocks over from me, except he mowed her front yard and he mowed her backyard. And then he got his weed out and he took care of all the spots that he missed and cleaned up her edges. And then he trimmed her hedges a little bit, and he pulled the weeds out from her flower beds, and then, and then he got the blower, and he cleaned it all up before he left. And what I realized is that technically, by the book, I had done what we agreed to, right? I mowed her grass. But at the same time, I, I knew, even in that moment, I knew that I, was doing, that I was doing the bare minimum. And unfortunately for me, she had noticed, hadn't she? And she had gone somewhere else. She had gone to found somebody else who wouldn't do the bare minimum. So, like, my summer hopes of being rich were crushed, right? Because I think I only had one other yard, and that was like a $15 yard, which is compared to $50. I mean, come on. And all of it was because I just I wasn't willing to go that extra mile. I just wasn't willing. We're still in our four-week series right now where we're going through the book of Jonah. It's just a four chapter book and so we're spending four weeks kind of walking our way through it. We, we left off last week with Jonah spending three days and three nights in the belly of the fish after being thrown out of the boat in the middle of the storm. That's how chapter one ends. Chapter two, which we aren't actually going to read together here in worship, is where Jonah is actually in the belly of the fish. And, and it's a beautiful chapter. It's a beautiful chapter where Jonah is singing praises and, and giving thanks to God for saving him from that storm with this giant fish that swallowed him. He says this, I, I called out to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I mean, it is a beautiful chapter of scripture. If you've never really gone back and read Jonah 2 as a prayer of thanksgiving for God saving us, man, it's, it's really, it's really beautiful. But at the end of chapter 2, it says God tells the fish to spit Jonah out onto dry land. And that's where Jonah chapter 3 picks up. And that's, how we're, that's where we're going to pick up reading for today, kind of pick up with our narrative. So I, I want you to listen in the story because you may know this story, or maybe you've never read this far in the book of Jonah. But you're going to get to see two key players in our story respond to God's call on their life. You're going to watch Jonah respond. And then you're going to watch the the Ninevites respond. And I just want you to notice in this initial reading, just how different their responses are. Let's read together. We're in Jonah chapter three, and we're going to read the whole chapter, which is just 10 verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Humans and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to the Lord. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they had did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he didn't do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, Thanks be to God. God speaks to Jonah a second time. A second time after he spit out from the belly of the fish. And he says the exact same thing to Jonah that he did the first time around. Word for word, the same thing. Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Only this time, unlike the first time, Jonah actually goes. Instead of running away from Nineveh, Jonah actually goes toward Nineveh. He gets into that great city, which is, which is a huge city, right? A three days walk across. And, and he only goes a third of the way in. Did you notice that? The scripture tells us it's a three days walk across. But Jonah, he only goes a third of the way in to the city. And he says this, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Something that we haven't talked a whole lot about yet about this book of Jonah is that, is that this story, this telling of the life of this, of this prophet, it has a lot of aspects and a lot of moments where it's really supposed to be funny to us as the reader. It's really supposed to have a hint of satire to it, just of ridiculousness of the story. You've you've already read some of these moments, right? Like, remember when Jonah was trying to escape the presence of the Lord on the sea when he knew that his God made the sea? It's supposed to be like a little bit of ancient Near Eastern humor right there, right? Like, how ridiculous is Jonah to think that? Or the fact that he's sleeping through the storm that's about to tear the ship apart? Or the fact that of everything that God could have done to save Jonah from the storm, he chose to have a fish swallow him. Believe it or not, that was humor back then. We're supposed to be laughing at those things. And this chapter, chapter 3, is full of those moments that we're supposed to read as just a little bit of satire just because of how ridiculous this story of this prophet really is. I mean, picture this. Jonah is covered in fish guts. He has literally been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. He stinks. He gets up and he walks to this this great evil powerhouse of an empire that is the Assyrian Empire, the biggest kid on the block, one of the most violent empires in all history. He gets a third of the way into the city, grabs a bucket, stands on it, and he says five words. In the Hebrew, what Jonah says is just five words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah, after being saved from the storm by being swallowed in a fish, after hearing the voice of God twice, twice, Jonah goes into the city and he says five words. He didn't tell them what they needed to quit doing. He didn't tell them who he is or who he represented. He didn't tell them who he was speaking to. He didn't tell them who needed to stop doing what and what that person needed to start doing. All while he is covered in fish guts, reeking. It's ridiculous. When you look at it closely, you you see, or at least I've seen this week, that Jonah couldn't have done less and still said yes to God. Do you see that? I feel like Jonah does the absolute bare minimum but still manages to check the box. He couldn't do less and still say yes to God. What if I had woken up early this morning and gone fishing and had a really good morning, which meant I caught a lot of fish, like enough to really smell like fish. Yeah, like good, good fish stench. And I walked into church late with my microphone not working like it was this morning in a dirty t-shirt and shorts and sandals. And I walked like maybe a third of the way down the aisle. And all I said was, y'all need to quit what you're doing and turn back or you're not going to like what's going to happen. And then I turned around and walked out. I mean, come on, you'd think we probably need to get a new pastor, right? It's okay. You'd be looking at Madison and Reed wondering if they're okay, if everything's all right at home. The response to God's call that we see from Jonah after all that God has done for Jonah, how God has has saved him. It's ridiculous. At least I think it is. I I just think it's totally ridiculous. He does the bare minimum. He barely, barely does enough to check that box from God. But notice that the response that we get from the Ninevites is just as ridiculous, but in a totally different direction. Somehow the words of this stinky prophet actually reach the king, the king himself of this giant empire, which is crazy in itself, much less the way that the king reacts to these words from this nobody prophet. He rises from his throne. He takes his robe off. He covers himself in sackcloth, which would have been really rough burlap material, really itchy material. And then he sits in a pile of ashes. And then he goes on to call the whole city to fast. He makes a decree that no human or animal can eat or drink anything, that they shall all be covered in sackcloth. The ridiculous part here is supposed to be we're picturing all of these livestock covered in burlap sacks. And then he calls his nation, his empire, to call out not to their gods, but to Jonah's God, to our God, hoping that it's not too late. The response of the king and of the whole Assyrian empire is ridiculous, but not because they do the bare minimum. It's because they go way, way over the top. A city-wide fast, an empire-wide fast. The king does way more than what is asked of him. Way more than what Jonah communicates to him. All because he's, he's clinging to this hope. This hope that, that maybe, it's not, maybe it's not too late. Maybe there's a chance that God could still forgive them despite all the evil that they have done. Maybe there's still hope that the city could be saved. This book so far, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed, is, is mostly about saying yes to God's call upon our life. Saying yes to where God is calling us to go, who God is calling us to be, and then also being willing to turn away from where God is calling us to turn away and turn towards something better. And, and what I think is so interesting about this chapter, about this part of the story, is that both parties do what they're asked. Both parties do what they're asked. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He does what God asks him to do. He barely does it, but, but he does it. The Ninevites, and specifically the king, they definitely do what God asked them to do. But the two parties check those boxes in very different ways. So what are we supposed to take away from this? What should be our takeaway from chapter 3 of Jonah? Well, I think it has to do with this question. Who will we be who will we be i almost never do this in worship but i want to show you a video it's a commercial that aired a few years ago that's been in my head this week so jason if you would hit that video have you ever worked for dr francis oh yeah he's okay just okay guess who just got reinstated well not officially nervous yeah yeah me too don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. i see you in there. Just okay is not okay, especially when it comes to your network. Just okay is not okay. Do y'all remember those ads? Remember that whole campaign? I watched all of them this week. There's one, like, with a tattoo artist, and he's, he didn't, like, do any tracing on the guy's arm. And then there's one with a skydiver where it's, like, his second jump, too, but he's taking the guy. They're they're really good. <laughs> Just okay is not okay. That's what I found myself thinking about this week, reading Jonah's story and comparing it to how the Ninevites respond. I think that's our so what, right? Just okay is not okay. I think that's our challenge. Who are we going to be in this story? Are we going to be Jonah Are we going to be just okay? Are we going to do the bare minimum when we say yes to where God is calling us? Are we just going to technically do what God is calling us to do instead of pouring ourselves into it? Or are we going to be the Ninevites? Are we going to drop everything and sprint to wherever it is that God is calling us to be? Are Are we going to fall down on our knees and repent with everything that we have? Are we going to repent in such an emphatic way that our pets repent? It's crazy, right? But that's how the story goes. As ridiculous as it may seem, the great evil empire in the story, the folks when we start reading this story of Jonah that we expect to be lost, the ones that we count out, those are the ones that give everything they have to God. While Jonah, even at this point in his story, hearing the voice of God, experiencing God saving him, for some reason, he is still resistant to fully give in to where God is calling him. So I'll ask you, are we going to preach a five-word sermon? Or are we going to be a people that are willing to give everything that we have to God? I wonder what throne you need to get up from today, right? I wonder what what that robe is for you that you need to take off so that you can put on that burlap sack. I wonder what it would look like for you if you sat in a pile of ashes. Friends, who are we going to be? Who, who are we going to be? My hope for us, my hope for myself is that is that we would be a people who are willing to let go of our pride and let go of our entitlement and of our frustration and anger, let go of the idea that we think we know better than God does, and instead humble ourselves before God. My hope is that we would remember that the grace that we have received that has been given to us as a gift is not something that we earned. My hope is that we would know that that no matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter how far we have drifted, that it is never, ever too late to repent. It is never too late to turn back to God. My hope is that we would always know that the story ends in redemption. My hope is that we might be a people that cut the grass and then walk down the street and grab the weed eater and the blower and the gloves and take care of the rest, right? Clean up the yard, pull the weeds in the flower bed, and blow off the driveway. My hope is that we would be a people when we say yes to where God is calling us, we would know that, that just okay is not okay. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning in to our message this week. In the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.